Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and we're excited to be back with our third episode of 2024 coming out for you. So uh, why don't we jump right on in and bring in my co-host, Sam Bradley. Sam, we've got a a good topic for tonight, and I'm glad we're going to be jumping into this one. It's something that always is good to hit the beginning of the year. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like we all have something in common. Uh, real, really, really cold. Even Memphis. Right, Dr. Joe, you got down to what? Minus two or something? We did. Uh, sub-zero temperatures here, which is pretty unusual in Memphis. Yeah. Well, we went down to minus 18 one night. That's cold enough for me. Oh, but it's, it's interesting because it's, we'll have to ask our mess about that. It's so much drier than I imagine it is in the South. Because you still have that humidity, right? Uh, that is correct. And uh, in the morning, we're expecting freezing fog. Wow. Freezing fog? Uh, yeah, exactly. Because uh, that's a that's thing. Not- we had freezing rain this afternoon, and now it's getting foggy outside. And so in the morning, the fog is supposed to be freezing fog, which will be, you know, floating ice crystals, I guess. Uh, I'm, I'm envisioning running through steel wool or something. I don't know. <laughs> It's probably not far. <laughs> yeah, that's, actually. that's pretty bizarre. Well, where's Dan? Where's Dan DePodwin when you need? Yeah, him? where's Dan? When yeah, we got to talk right? about. We got to talk about freezing fog. Freezing fog. Well, freezing we'll, fog. We'll get him on that next week. Deal. Yep, we're gonna do some weather next week. So tonight, Joe, you just went to one of your your awesome physicians meetings, and I'm sure there's a lot of info that came out of that. So I'm just gonna toss it over to you. Well, uh, that sounds great. So, uh, yes, I was in uh, Austin, Texas last week for the NAEMSP, which is the National Association of EMS Physicians Annual Meeting. Uh, Lots of great information. Lots of old friends there, of course. Um, uh, Lots of bourbon in Texas, too. Uh, so, uh, had a really great meeting, uh, was able to, um, participate in several of the pre-cons as well as some interesting lectures and a lot of opportunity to sort of catch up on kind of the hot topics for 2024 in EMS. And I thought maybe that would be something we should talk a little bit about tonight. There you go. Um, I'm just going to let you run with it and know what those topics are. Well, th- that sounds fine. So by all means, we can uh, we can pause whenever. Uh, I think that one of the most profoundly impactful uh, occurrences in the last few months has been the verdict on the Elijah McLean case um, related to uh, two EMS providers. Um We spent a a fair amount of time, both formally and informally, uh, talking about that case and some of the issues associated with that case. And, you know, I I think I'm sure there'll be many appeals and I I don't pretend to know all of the details of the case. I, I, I know stuff at the summary level, but I think the lessons learned are pretty strong. And it's it's very clear that EMS services uh, need to revisit their interoperability 
approach with law enforcement. Uh, and, and I say that to, to make it very clear that uh, law enforcement and EMS need to come to an agreement about sort of who's in charge of what and what needs to happen when EMS shows up on the scene uh, so that we we don't end up in a confusing situation, which I think was part of uh, what happened on the Elijah McLean case, where it, it really seemed like law enforcement was, quote unquote, in charge of the patient and um, sort of pushing EMS to administer um, sedating medications. Um, and I think that the issue there from the EMS perspective was uh a little bit of uh perhaps intimidation by law enforcement obviously they're a bunch of big burly guys with guns and it's easy to um uh, follow their leads um but at the same time i think that the 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 challenge for ems is a recognition that uh when we arrive on the scene we own the patient and what the, what I mean by that is we have to be very clear with law enforcement that um, we're there to take care of the patient and we're going to have to do an evaluation of that patient. Uh, we're going to have to lay hands on that patient and uh, that EMS alone will make a decision as to whether or not the need for uh restraints and by restraints i mean medical restraints like medications or uh perhaps you know soft restraints quote unquote uh are necessary in order to um prevent the patient from harming harming himself or others and to allow us to assess and treat what may be going on with that patient uh i think uh, what seemed very clear to me in uh, in the verdict on this Elijah McLean case is that the jury was not convinced that uh, EMS did much in the way of an assessment of the patient. Um, they did not gather much history. They tended to take whatever law enforcement said um, a a as their minimal history. And sort of despite the fact that, uh, if I recall properly, he was um, not actively um, being aggressive or uh, appeared to be in a, a, a delirious state, uh, decided to administer medications to him anyway. Uh, the second piece of that is a recognition that if we as EMS decide that it is medically appropriate to sedate a patient or to chemically restrain, I'll use that word in quotes, um, that we, we absolutely then have to complete our evaluation and institute treatment um, for whatever may be going on. You know, the majority of these patients that end up in this situation are frequently 
uh, at a very um, hyperactive state. They have probably, in a lot of cases, been fighting with law enforcement. They may have been running. Um, they they're they're scared. Um, they're you know agitated, for lack of a better word, and. I think if we're making a, a medical decision that we need to calm this patient down so he doesn't hurt himself and to allow us to assess and treat him, then we absolutely better be doing that. So for for majority of these patients who um, die in custody uh, under similar circumstances, uh, with or without the addition of medications, um, there are a lot of things going on with those patients that need aggressive management. Um, because they're in sort of a hypermetabolic state, they're, they tend to be acidotic. Their potassium levels are probably up. Uh, they're probably a little bit dehydrated from heavy exertion. Um, hormonal levels are all over the chart. They're probably hyperthermic from fighting or running or whatever else they've been doing. Um, they may or may not have other substances on board. Uh, and so part of what EMS needs to do is uh, ensure that, that once we've calmed the patient down, that we engage in that assessment and the treatment of those issues. So I assume a lot of that training has gone to the police departments well, right? So there's not going to be a, a contest <laughs> well, I, at the I'd scene really on like who's in charge of what. <laughs> I'd really like to think that there's been a lot of training that's gone to law enforcement on that, Sam, but I, I'll be honest with you, I'm skeptical. At what point, do, I mean, I know I know in my training here in Maryland, it it, it was always towards the direction of if, if police wants us to become involved with caring for a patient, that they cease becoming a prisoner, they're a patient, and that we're to treat them as a patient. Um, if we feel the need to have a police officer ride along, then they can ride along, but we make all decisions regarding that patient if they're going to come in our ambulance. If they don't, if the police don't want that, they can transport them in their vehicle. And usually what happens is the police, in my experience, have always backed down um, because they didn't, if they wanted to transport the patient, they would have done it already, <laughs> is my experience. Um, and it's sad that, that, the, the, that these paramedics were put in this position and then didn't, follow through with some of the care that might've been needed for this person. Um, and it's, it's, it's really sad. Um, but I'm curious, Joe, is there an initiative at the national level for EMS physicians to renew and review training or, and or protocols for chemical restraint? Yes, I think that there is. And, you know, I, I think part of what's really challenging here is that uh, the drug ketamine is frequently involved in these kind of cases. And it is very difficult to tease out the the effects of the situation, which prompt the use of the drug, 
versus the effects and or side effects of the drug uh, and which one of those things puts the patient more at risk. Uh, and, you know, sorting out whether or not ketamine is, quote unquote, a dangerous drug. I have my personal opinions about that, but, you know, clearly there's there's an awful lot of cases where a drug like ketamine has been administered and then things went bad. And the challenge is sorting out the, was it all the other stuff we were talking about that didn't get done? Uh, or was it the drug? Or was it a combination of each? And how much did that, did those two things work together to result in a uh, an outcome that nobody wanted. So I I think there's there's real challenges there. Uh, and I think from a medical director standpoint, um, we as medical directors need to be uh, very up to date on the medications that are available their proper use, the monitoring required when they are used, how they're administered, uh, under what circumstances, uh, all of those things, because they they are, the, the circumstances cause all those things to happen together. And then it becomes a quagmire of trying to figure out, so what was the thing that resulted in problems? Um, and it's it's very again particularly with ketamine it's it's conflicting data um you know it's interesting that the medical examiner upon revisiting the cause of death for Elijah McLean decided that um a contributing factor was um ketamine uh because the dose given to him was um, larger than uh, was recommended for his weight. Not dramatically so, 20 or 30%, if I remember properly, but nevertheless, uh, you know, more than would have been appropriate if you were going strictly by protocol. Uh, yet there's tons and tons of data that says ketamine is very safe at, you know, 10 times the recommended dose, uh, that the effects just last longer. And, and so it's like it, you know, they don't, those things don't match up very well, uh, which, which makes it difficult to figure out what the culprit is and how big an impact, um, a 10%, 20% higher dose is, is causing if if anything we just don't have those answers very well and these situations are so volatile and so emotionally impactful and under such intense scrutiny that it, it's very difficult to tease out the individual pieces that um, may be the source of many of these problems. Well, Pretty clear that it probably put the fear of God into every medic in the area, not <laughs> in well, the country. I, I, that I, could I absolutely happen, think you're. You know? I absolutely think you're right, Sam. It should be a real wake-up call. You know, the, the common elements in these cases seem to be a 
a lack of quote unquote ownership of the patient, meaning I'm on scene, that's my patient, I'm going to evaluate him, you know, you law enforcement guys have got to give me access, or at least I've got to make every effort to convince law enforcement that I need access to that patient so I can evaluate him. And if they refuse to do so, then at least the medic can sort of be in the clear, right? Because all that's on body cams and everything else, right? It's all captured. It was all captured at the at, at that trial. Uh, and body cams were very damning in, in that situation. Uh, and then we got to assess that patient uh, as we should, and then we need to initiate treatment on that patient as we should. Uh, and so by owning it, that's what I mean. We, we are we're the patient advocate. We're there to take care of the patient. We're not there to help law enforcement uh, control people so that they can take them into custody. That's what law enforcement does. That's not what EMS does. Back in my day, during the Mother May I era, um, if we ran into a problem like that, uh, we were bound to call our medical control. That's the higher authority. That's who we, whose license we're working under. Um, and does that kind of thing still happen these days? It does. And, and that's certainly not a bad idea. I, I think these situations are so volatile and so fraught with uh, dangers that the more involved you can get whoever you need, your supervisory EMS personnel, um, law enforcement supervisory personnel, um, uh, medical direction, online, offline, you know, pull out your protocol book, uh, all of those things so that if something goes bad and, and it's it's unpredictable when it's going to go bad, so you, you just never know which one's going to be the one, uh, you can you can at least go home from that call with um, the personal knowledge that you did everything you could have done to try to take care of that patient. Exactly. Well, I'm sorry this didn't turn out too well for them, unfortunately, but like you said, there's bound to be a lot of appeal. And a lot of questions about the drug itself. Jamie? Well, you know, it's and and the ultimate tragedy is someone died and probably didn't have and and needlessly at that uh, because whether because of a, a drug error or the lack of appropriate intervention before and after the administration of the drug, there are a lot of things that that fell through the cracks, either from the police or the EMS standpoint at the time. And someone died because of it. And it, it, it's it's something for all of us to keep in mind. And all the things Joe said about taking ownership of the patient. And most importantly, and this is something that I've always been a strong believer in, is that we are advocates for our patients. And being that advocate is, you know, this patient was not in a position to stand up for themselves and stand up for their own health. And I think at that point is, is where maybe the ball got dropped the most. So for what it's worth. Yeah. Good point on that. So Joe, one final question on that. What was the pulse of the EMS physicians? I'm sure that was a topic of discussion. 
Uh, I, I think uh, EMS physicians in general are are concerned uh, about it, partially because uh, from a medical standpoint, there are a lot of limitations uh, on what we can do in the field and understanding the relative risk of those things. So, for example, uh, you know, ketamine, which everybody, everybody, which which a lot of the EMS medical direction community liked, still likes, I think, because it's a drug that um, in general does not have uh, significantly negative cardiovascular side effects, meaning it doesn't make people stop breathing and their heart go do crazy things and drop their blood pressure and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so it, you know, it seems like a very optimal choice of, uh, of a medication yet we continue to see problems and issues. Uh, and, and it's, it's very muddy, right? We, we can't tell, we can't tell what's what out there. Uh, the things that I worry about is we've seen uh, some places around the country, including in your uh, neck of the woods, Sam, where uh, community political leadership has banned the use of a drug, uh, meaning they've decided to practice medicine, um, which concerns me on many levels, right? It, it's fine to say uh, we don't think you should use drug X. Um, but what they don't realize is, so what are we going to do instead? And if you look historically at the reason we got to ketamine, it's because the stuff we had before wasn't very good. Uh, it was benzodiazepines like Versed and Valium, which took a long time and made people really sleepy and caused some cardiovascular side effects and just really didn't do much in the field. Um, and if you go back to, well, just don't use drugs at all. Well, the drug before that was Brutane, right? We beat the daylights out of them. And that clearly didn't work very well either. So I, I think it's, it's a very challenging situation to figure out how you can attempt to alleviate severe agitation and combativeness and all the other things that are, you know, going on to try to keep somebody from hurting themselves or from law enforcement or EMS or fire or citizens from being hurt by that person, yet do so in a way that is, is safe uh, and, uh, you know, doesn't result in an unexpected bad outcome. And so, you know we're 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 in a bit of a a quandary trying to figure out what the right things to do are. Um, I, I think the common failures, as I look at many of these type cases over the last ten years or so, is we didn't evaluate the patient appropriately. We didn't take control of the patient. We didn't. Once the patient began to calm down, we didn't monitor them closely enough. We didn't intervene 
to address some of the issues that we tried to calm them down so we could look for and treat. And yet we didn't do that um, because of whatever reasons, right? Everybody gets pretty tired of fighting with somebody and gets pretty frustrated with them and, you know, tempers flare and everybody just wants that guy to stop doing whatever that guy's doing. And, you know, whatever he gets, he deserves. And man, that's a bad mindset to be in. And it's a, it's a bad place to be. So it's tough to step back from that and realize we, we have a higher calling and uh, you know, particularly for, new folks into the field of EMS uh, with with limited experience, it's really difficult to realize you're in one of those situations and have the hair on your neck standing up and you realizing, man, I'm, I'm in a spot where things are not going to go well here. I've absolutely got to make sure I'm doing all the things I need to be doing. Uh, it, it's just tough when you get in that that red mist, that heat of the moment, that temper flaring. And, you know, the guy's been beating people up for 20 minutes and there's six cops holding him down. And, you know, all you want to do is just try to help out. And it's sort of like, man, I have potential for bad, bad stuff to happen here. That's tough. Especially for these guys, that's really unfortunate. Well, you know, switching gears a little bit, I know what Jamie wants to hear about. Was there, is there any new stuff out there any tech any uh new gadgets that i did see quite a few new things coming i think there's a there's a new appreciation for um how challenging manual ventilation is uh whether that's you know bag mask or uh et tube or superglottic airway or whatever um, there are lots and lots of new um, devices, tools, adjuncts to help us ensure that we can uh, access and manage the airway. Um, more tools coming that provide us additional information and feedback about how much tidal volume are we giving, under what pressure. Um, and, uh, you know, more monitoring parameters along the lines of entitled CO2 and some of that sort of stuff. Uh, so, you know, I think we're seeing quite a few things there. Um, lots and lots of EMS services are much deeper into the public health domain than I think we used to be. I say that in terms of uh, many EMS services around the country, in addition to treating opiate overdoses, are now instituting uh, suboxone therapy, uh, you know, a medication that uh, will help get people off of opiates uh, by blocking the really bad side effects. And I, I did hear one thing that was actually quite insightful, I thought, about opiate addiction in that for a lot of folks, when they first start opiates, they do it to feel better. Uh, and and then over time, their addiction is all about just trying not to feel bad. Uh, 
because withdrawal from opiates is an incredibly uncomfortable withdrawal process. And so for many people, they don't get high anymore. They're just trying not to be sick. Uh, and the only way to do that is to keep feeding the opiates. So it, it's a very interesting perspective, uh, on just sort of psychologically for us to appreciate that, um, you know, for many of these folks, if we can help alleviate some of the withdrawal symptomatology, um, you know, that's a good path to get them headed down in order to get them off uh, free of their opiate addiction. Oh, interesting. Jamie? No, it, it, it's always been my belief that we always, uh, that, that we're better off focusing on the medical problem of addiction than the perceived sociological issues around addiction. And, and it's, it's heartening to hear um, that, that you heard that kind of approach and, and that, that, that idea of trying not to feel bad <laughs> um, as opposed to trying to get high. Because I think that's the, mis- the misunderstanding that um, they're chasing a high and they're not anymore. Um, you know, I've, I've got several people in my family, um, that have dealt with addiction. Um, my cousin's, um, youngest son died from a fentanyl overdose, um, after struggling with addiction for years, it is not easy for families to deal with these things. And the, um, you know, the EMS community, uh, can go a long way towards connecting people to the services that are available in those communities. And that starts with knowing what those services are. And so it's good to hear that there's more of a connection to the public health side of things. And I think that's going to be a, an episode, Jamie. I think that's a good topic to cover. Um, Joe, was there anything else that was stellar? Uh, let's see. Uh, I think, um, certainly a much, uh, a lot of talk around, um, the EMS workforce. Uh, everybody is struggling to have enough folks to take care of business, uh, with, you know, demands of, of the job increasing and the challenges of the job increasing, yet still not really being compensated at a way it needs to be and all those sort of things. So a lot of, a lot of work being done around trying to make the workplace and the profession uh, better so that we can maintain uh, folks who are experienced and um, uh, tenured in many cases Uh, Keep them engaged because there's such a huge loss of experience and knowledge when we burn those people out. Uh, And so, you know, we continue to be a very young workforce and we tend to use our people up pretty quickly and then they're off to do something else. Right there. They all go get nursing degrees or they move on to teaching or some other stuff, which is awesome. But that that takes them away from the EMS profession. So I think a lot of that kind of stuff, uh, a fair amount of talk of, of frustration to some extent with the discontinuation of the ET3 program from Medicare. 
and the real need to um, reinstitute something that uh, will incentivize EMS services to do the right thing uh, as opposed to just taking the patient to the hospital. Um, there, there's a lot of work there for sure, right? There, I think EMS is a very underutilized resource in the continuum of healthcare. And unfortunately, our pay system is set up to do nothing but reward us for taking the patient to the hospital. So whether they need it or not, and whether the hospital can handle it or not, is not part of the picture. It's just, that's what we're going to pay you for. So that's what everybody does. Uh, because you can't make a, you can't successfully run a business if you can't get paid. So a lot of things like that, a lot of fairly high level strategic, um, long range, long term uh, concepts there. Well, Joe, one last thought on that, but you know, your thought about seniors and experienced employees, I don't know how experienced the two medics were in this case, but I can envision a lot of medics I knew walking in there and going, oh, hell no, it isn't going to work this way. You know, if there's issues with police and, you know, if there's there's a younger medic there who isn't quite versed or gets real nervous about it, they can kind of hold that together. Um, so that's another good reason to keep your experienced people in the workforce. But finally, what's Paragon up to? Gosh, uh, we are beginning to pick back up again after a, a little bit of a slowdown over the holiday season. Uh, we've got a couple of military things coming up, uh, lots of uh, activity on the military side of things with uh, the, the state of the world now, uh, a lot of preparedness underway. Uh, so that's good stuff. Uh, I'll actually be in Green Bay, Wisconsin in a couple of weeks at the Wisconsin EMS Association uh, meeting. Uh, doing a, a presentation on uh, uh, heads up uh, CPR, neuroprotective CPR that we've talked about on this program many times before. Uh, and um, a few other things in the pipeline, but they're not quite there yet. Joe, if somebody wants to reach out to Paragon and, and find out how you can bring some of the unique training resources and approach to training that you do come to the table with, um, where can they reach out to you and find out more about how they can customize something for their community? Uh, they can always find us on the web at paragonmedicalgroup.com or on Facebook at Paragon Medical uh, Education Group uh, or through the Disaster Podcast. Awesome. Sam, where can folks find you? Well, on social media under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11 in our wonderful Facebook community under Disaster Podcast and on our website. What about you, Jamie? Well, they can find me under the handle Podmedic in most social media places out there. And I look forward to finding all of you out wherever you may be lurking. I also would like to uh, just thank everybody for uh, coming along with us into the new year. And we've got a lot planned for the coming few episodes. We've got some things in the pipeline coming along. So stay tuned here and follow us over at disasterpodcast.com and in our Facebook group at Disaster Podcast. Uh, Sam, I, I, I always enjoy looking at the, the what the outlook is through the eyes of our EMS medical directors. And um, it's good to be able to hear about some of those things from Joe. 
Absolutely. I mean, the discussion of this case was more than I expected. I quite honestly didn't know all the details, and this was really educational for me. And the, the good news always is if something bad happens, we can re-educate everybody else to keep it from happening. Yeah. So that's kind of our lesson for tonight.